everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live on the Land of Israel Network, from the Land of Israel, from Jerusalem, and you're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov. Shalom, and welcome to Rabbi Mike Foy. Rabbi Mike, shalom. Shalom, Yishai, good to see you. I don't have a problem with saying the word shalom a lot. People don't know, but the word shalom is one of God's names. This is true. Why would one have a problem with saying it? I don't know. Maybe you think, wow, that's a little cheesy, saying the word shalom a lot. That's like one of of God's names. You know that you're not supposed to say the word shalom in the bathroom? Yes, I do. You know, when you see a buddy in the bathroom, which happens. Yes, it does. uh, Or at the mikvah or whatever, Mm -hmm. or at the changing room at the pool. I don't know. You're not supposed to say shalom. You're not supposed to say that. So you say, say, how you doing? Manish, manishma. (laughs) You say, hey, Alan. There's many ways of saying hello, but uh, not shalom. Don't whip that out in the bathroom. You got to be very, very, uh, uh, very, very cautious with that special, special word. Okay, shalom. On the other hand, use shalom more uh, widely. The word shalom. We just say the word shalom. You just said God's name. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to have a discussion about what it means. Well, what does it mean? Oh, that's the $64,000 question. We say the word peace in, in yes. English, and I think it's a deep misnomer. Right. Which is one of the reasons that the left accuses the right of not wanting peace. Right. Because the answer is that you're correct. We actually don't. Right. We want shalom. That's right. Right. And, and shalom is a state in which, you know, fire and water can coexist, that we build a clea that's, holding, that's strong enough to really hold the contradictions of the world. It is not a cessation of war. It is, it is the power which can hold all the blessings of the world, like the Gemara says. Right, right. And it comes from the word shalem, which, by the way, is part of the names of Jerusalem. Yerushalem, Jerusalem. It means... Uh, the uh, holy ho- city in both ways. You know my favorite? I love the names of Jerusalem. You know Jerusalem's got 70 names? Do you know that I have something called the Jerusalem Garden, Hosan Sfaria? It's 709 sources on Jerusalem, and I've counted 111. 111 different names. Just from the Tanakh. Right. Uh, it's interesting you say that because in the Balaturim, the article version, they do compare different, uh, different uh, uh, 70s, different lists of, of what Jerusalem is called. It reminds me also of everybody knows that, you know, the Inuits uh, have 80 uh, names for, for snow. snow. I'm from Cleveland. We had the same thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my favorite is I, 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 first thing I like cities. I'm interested in general in cities. That's just something I'm interested in. I didn't really study it. This but is a good one. Cities, just as a thought, New York City, Los Angeles, right. for, for example, is New York like San Francisco, like Miami's like L.A.? I thought to myself, like, are they, are they like kind of <laughs> parallel? You've, you've been traveling a lot. You know, it's an interesting thing. When you get to San Francisco, I'm like, I haven't seen a city like this except for like New York. It like reminds me of the, you know, the whatever. And, and I like the names of cities. You know, Jerusalem, for example, uh, excuse me, uh, Tel Aviv is known as the White City. Why? Because of the Bauhaus architecture. architecture okay, whatever. Uh, which is very ugly architecture that was... Uh, that Ooh, now, <laughs> it's a World Heritage site, <laughs> man. You can't exactly. say that. No, listen, sometimes you got to protect the ugly things. Well, if the anyway, Nazis hadn't destroyed most of Europe, it wouldn't be so remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love the name of Yerushalayim, Ir HaNetzach, mm. the Eternal City. I just like to say to people, the Eternal City. I love that. The We're still city. around. Yeah, the Eternal City. Wow. 3,000 plus you know, you got, you got the Big Apple. That's cool. City of Lights. That's cool. The Eternal City. Ooh. It's so, so beautiful. And that dovetails, of course, with the City of Gold. Speaking of the City of Gold, when is Jerusalem really called the City of Gold? Famously, uh, Rabbi Akiva gives his beloved wife, Rachel, a piece of jewelry of Jerusalem, a relief of Jerusalem in gold. A tiara, even. A tiara. Beautiful Yerushalayim Shel Zahaf. Also, those who live here know that at sunset, the Jerusalem stone buildings kind of light up a kind of golden glow. A golden glow. And at sunset, such a marvelous time here in Yerushalayim every day is this, is this Jerusalem of gold that appears. And uh, yesterday, 
which was uh, Pesach Sheni, P2, I, uh, my wife did such a nice thing yesterday. She reached out through the WhatsApp group of our neighborhood to see if anybody's got matzah, because all my matzah was gone. And people, indeed, we got the most beautiful handmade matzah that somebody just was willing to give us. Wow. And I held that matzah to the skyline of Jerusalem, and you could see a little piece of the, of the golden dome there, and the sun shone, shone through one of those little holes. I took a picture of it on my Facebook page. And I just wanted to talk for just one second about Pesach Sheni, one of my favorite, 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 favorite holidays. Why is that? Because you love matzah. I do like matzah. You're right. Okay, and I like egg salad and matzah. And my wife made haroset. Oh, it was incredible. That's so holy. Oh my gosh! And we had a special Pesach P2 meal yesterday. Favorite, one of my favorite holidays. Why is that? Because a lot of people call Pesach Sheni the second chance holiday. It's for those people who missed the first Pesach. But I always say to people that is a very low-level understanding of what Pesach Sheni is about. It's not about uh, getting a second chance on the grade that you failed. It's actually about saying to God, I don't, I got a pass. I want to take the test. I want it. I want to get closer to you, God. And I think that making Aliyah, for example, or, or wanting to live in a holy place in the land of Israel, all, all the land of Israel is holy, but there's even levels within that, or wearing the blue string chalet, or whatever, or drinking, learning, Torah. learning Torah and making an extra push, saying, I'm not so good at Talmud, I'm going to learn the beautiful Talmud. Oh, Hashem, please help us learn more Torah. Amen. Um, and, and there's two times in the whole Torah where, where people asked for something and they got it. When, when God said to them, revealed, hint, hint, there's more Torah in the heavens, in the big, in the big uh, server in the sky. There's more Torah. Two times. One was when the daughters of Slavchad were like, we want the land of Israel. We want to inherit it. God says, you want the land of Israel? You got it. You got, I, got, I got some for you right here. And, and also in Pesach Sheni, oh, you want redemption? You want the redemption offering? Boom, you got it. When you ask God for more redemption, for more Eretz Israel, he's going to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. I mean, in many ways, that was the motto that drove the Zionist movement, Im Tirzu. If you will, it, it is no dream. The first is you have to actually want it. You know, and it, it's a tremendous posture to take in life. And in, particularly in the Torah, I think many people feel, and I hear this from my students sometimes, like stuck. Oh, the Torah already came to us. We're just like scraping around in the pieces of the past. And I say, no, they actually couldn't Oof. be for, well, you can understand why people wow. would do that. Let, let, speak it out again. That, speak that, it out. that all the law was set, that at best we're trying to sort of maneuver within fixed pieces. Right. And, and there's just like shards of the past here that we're trying to put together, maybe into new vessels. Right. And I can understand that because that's a lot of what religiosity wow. is about. That's wow. the conservative element, small c, of right. religiosity. But there is the sort the, of as revolutionary. You said that ascent of like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur at Reform synagogues where everybody piles in and the kids kind of are dressed up but they're not comfortable and they're trying to play a game outside and it's all like boring and stale. And Yeah, listen, I wouldn't reserve it to that as well. I mean, I think that a lot of orthodoxy is sure. stuck very much. I mean, um, we, we give lip service to the notion of machloket, that, 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 that disagreement, that the depth of disagreement is actually what brings the depth of God's will into the world. It has to be a disagreement, of course, l'shem shemaim, for the sake of God. But we give lip service to it, but we're very nervous because the truth of the matter is it can be a very destructive force. And I feel like we're here, we're here in Eretz Israel to go back to this notion of shalom, that shalom is a vessel that can hold opposites. And Eretz Israel is a place that can hold real machloket, can hold real difference in order that newness can come out. Because there's definitely more Torah ready to come down the pipeline. What we just talked about is a super deep, that yearning for more, more Torah in the sky, and also this idea that Torah is new, the Torah is alive. It's a really... Um, 
it's a it's a it's such a deep thought, and 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 I totally see where where some of your students would be coming from, being like, this is an old relic type thing. Uh, remember what Toynbee said. Toynbee, the great historian, who really didn't like Jews or Israel, uh, said basically um, uh, that we're an archaic people, a kind of fossilized, fossilized people, Jews, right? Yeah. And you know, kind of kind of like alive, kind of strange. But but you know why he said that? Because his whole study was based on the definition that civilizations die when they begin to worship their past instead of their future, mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. worship their ancestors instead of their pioneers. And one of the reasons that he may not have liked the Jews is that we actually revolutionized. I mean, we were frozen in time. We should have, we sort of, should have disappeared. He compared us to the Inuit, to the Eskimos. That's the other example he gives. And yet, what happened? What was the Zionist revolution? Think about it for a second. We, they let go of the past and began to worship their pioneers. Now, that's had some good and bad consequences. I believe, religiously, we need to loosen our hold on worshiping the rabbis and begin to force ourselves to be prophets, right? To really ask God, not in sort of wild ways of, of breaking away from the Torah, but in the deep ways of, of saying, we want more. We want what we need in our day. Right. Uh, and, and I think a, a bit of that can be found in what Rabbi Nachman teaches to talk to God. Instead of in a fossilized, kind of uh, very um, formulaic way of, of praying, he, sa- he says, like, those things are important, but talk to God. I'm, ch- I'm training my children, you know, to talk to God. It's so important. I sat with a, a student yesterday. We speak about some challenges of, in, in history and challenges in, in textual criticism and the, and the Torah, and uh, she was actually quite surprised at some things I had to say. And she basically said, well, how can you say these things and not just go off the rails? Because I, I, I'm in practice, I'm a very normative orthodox person i said because my my relationship with god exists in the present meaning meaning at the end of the day if there's something i don't understand so i turn to god and say i don't understand this that's right and he doesn't necessarily answer me don't get me wrong but my point is is that that a critical view of the past and and the sort of digging away at its riches is only threatening if your relationship with god exists in the past it exists in the present it can be enriching it can be challenging it can be a lot of things but it's not going to be destructive one way that the city of Jerusalem keeps our relationship current with God is that, is that there's always a lack of parking. And oftentimes, <laughs> like today, when I was late for a very high-level meeting, I just had to say the prayer that my wife and I developed, which is, God of my fathers and forefathers, God who helped us park in the desert, he who provided parking for us in all those uh, uh, spots in the desert, please help me find parking in this eternal city. Did it work? This is the eternal problem. Of course. Absolutely. You didn't make any counteroffer, did you? No, but you know the old joke is yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's okay, got it, got it. I got it. No, but I'm like, and I like, I remember that joke, and I'm like, thank you. No, really, thank, really, thank you. Thank you, God. And I was like, staying cool, staying. Cool. I was late, and Mamilla parking lot is full. Come on, that people. doesn't ever happen. It happens. It, it does happen exactly when you're desperate for that parking spot. Anyway, it's fine. It's all in God's hands. Let's talk about one more component before we get to tour portion. And I must say that today's show, and some will be happy about this, must be cut a little bit short. The time <laughs> delays and all that and the parking problem. Um, children. Children and all that pick up and all that. Uh, the real life of, 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 uh, of, uh, of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. Um, there's another holiday coming this Saturday night, which is Lag Be'omer the 33rd day of the Omer, the Omer count. And we are within, uh, we are within this grand period, the Omer counting period. <clears throat> and that is, uh, I just always like to remember, second day of Passover, we start to count 49 days till the 50th day, with it, which is Shavuot. The Torah commands us to, and in this week's Torah portion, commands us to do so. Um, Lag Omer, a very special day, I think sometimes misunderstood. The way I see it is, 
uh, we are remembering the passing of Shimon Bar Yochai, who's basically uh, this link in the chain who, as the Romans are coming to kick the Jews out of the land of Israel, hides away, writes down uh, parts of the mystical doctrines, and gets it ready, the way I understand it, to be put into luggage so that uh, we can teach it in secrecy uh, when you're 40 years old, one to uh, father to, to son, until that very point where the Arizal in around 1550 will come in and start to unpack that luggage uh, after 2,000 years, 1,500 years of hiatus, and to start to resurrect that knowledge uh, within the broader Jewish people again through the channels of the Sephardim, for example, through the Orachim HaKadosh, through the Litaim, the Lithuanians, through the, uh, the, the Gaon Mevilna, through the Baal Shem Tov, and they will become, the, the, the mystical doctrines will become re-bred re, re into the Jewish people as normative part of Judaism, and we're celebrating the victory of authentic Jewish culture, authentic Jewish Torah, uh, and our victory over the Romans, our final victory over, over, over uh, exile and, ev and eviction. Where are they now? Yeah, the, the You like that take? You agree with that take? I mean, I have a, a slightly different perspective on, the, uh, on what the Zohar is, about the role that Rabbi Shimon plays in our tradition and why it's so critical to Judaism today. I mean, as you've pointed out before, that Meron is really the largest Jewish gathering in the entire world at this point. Uh, just, just to clarify for, for all the listeners, we're talking about upwards of 800,000 to a million uh, people will be coming to Meron, especially the Sephardic Jews, especially the Hasidic Jews and stragglers like myself. Uh, uh, you know, and this is also, just so you know, the number one outlay of the tourism ministry throughout the year. Really? All of their projects including foreign tourism. No, the number one fiscal outlay of the tourism ministry uh, is, um, is, uh, is, is going up to Mayron. That's a, that's, that's a big honor. Yes. So to me, the arguments around um, historicity, which sometimes pop up this time of, of the year, you know, like when was Zohar written, who wrote it, where did it come from, etc., cetera, um, is a big waste of time. Big waste of time because... I believe that things emerge in our people at the right time in history. And whether it's because they were packed away in the luggage and have been waiting since then to come out, or whether actually we have not been capable of receiving that element of the Torah, which has been there all along, waiting for us to see it, to me is an irrelevancy. That, that, that um, the proof is in the pudding, as you say. And the impact that the Zohar has had and that the breathing of the life of the Kabbalah, into, of Jewish mysticism, into you know, the, the bones of the Torah um, has fueled the process of redemption. And that, to me, is of right, right, unquestionable importance. Right. Uh, the way I... Uh, you said it so well. I, I, you know, the, the way I really read uh, this period right now is it has a... There's a triumvirate of holidays that are really one just at, from different angles. And people, I don't know if people understand that any given thing can be studied from a few different angles, and they're all true. When something's a deep truth, it's true from a few different angles. Especially when it's larger than our ability to truly grasp it. Then the only way to get at it is actually to approach different angles. Because right. if you make the mistake of thinking you're seeing the whole picture from the perspective where you sit, you actually take something which is grand and reduce it to something... Two-dimensional. Yeah. So the three, the triumvirate, and there's more, but the triumvirate really is Yomatz Mot. Physical redemption, Yom Yerushalayim, the end of that physical redemption, and a kind of uh, and a kind of a wholeness of the land, and and, and, a, and a, a revelation of a miracle, 
Uh, and Lag Baomer, the, the spiritual content going into that physical vessel that was completed at Yom Yerushalayim. And if you think about it, three different groups celebrated. The secular Jews really celebrate uh, Yom Atzmut. Sure. The religious and religious Zionists celebrate Yom Yerushalayim. And the ultra-religious, uh, the, ultra, the, the black hat Jews, whatever you want to call them, uh, celebrate Lag Baomer. And kind of together, we're all actually celebrating the same thing. The return of Jewish culture, the, our victory over the Romans, our return to this land. It's all kind of one. Life. Life, but not life as the act of living, but life as the divine spirit that's in us really breathing. Well, life also consists of picking up our kids, so we got to move along. <laughs> uh, first thing I want to thank uh, uh, so many people. I, I can't get into the list today because there's so many people out there that, uh, that, that deserve thanks. I just want to remember our good friends Jack and Sarah who, who helped the show happen. Um, I also want to thank my good friend Batsalel, who recently joined in the uh, funding of the show. Really appreciate it. And there's there's many more. There's, uh, you know, I just I'm I'm just so appreciative that people are helping uh, uh, make this happen, and and it really does m- help make it happen. And I just came out of a a, a fundraising meeting for for Hebron, where I work, uh, the Jewish community of uh, Hebron, and 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 beautifying it, and also making it the uh, p- destination, let's not call it tourist attraction, let's call it destination, pilgrimage, spiritual destination. Spiritual destination. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> spiritual destination. Uh, and just uh, when you meet with somebody who wants to fund, it's one of the most beautiful things in the world because that person, re- you just said life. It's a person who wants to breathe life. And there's people on the ground who are doing it. And then there's sometimes people who, in, in American business, they call it angel funding. Right. right? There's, there's, a, you know, there's a beauty to that yeah, term. Yeah. It's like they really make it happen. Yeah. So all of you that make help make it happen, and you know, Rabbi Mike, you've got projects. Uh, the Land of Israel Network, it's got projects, and Chevron, uh, it's got projects. Uh, I urge all of you to start being funders. It's an important and beautiful thing. I can tell you personally, I get a lot of funding calls. Me, other than the fact that my life is a, you know, I, I give up a, a lot of my personal life, and so do you, f- to to help those projects come along. Thankfully. Uh, one thing I fund is um, the yeshiva of uh, the tomb of Joseph. Oh, yeah. Or Joseph Chai. Like, I, like, like, for me, because I work in Hebron, because I live in Yerushalayim, when they call me from Yosef's tomb, I'm like, I'm not actually there. I'm not on the ground. I barely get there. So here's my cash. You know? And th- that's just like my, like, like I'm like... Intru- it's a way of extending a hand. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a big thing. Let's go to the videotape. I mean to say to the Torah... <laughs> We're in, in the Torah portion. We're in Vayikra, which is Leviticus. And this Torah portion and more uh, is one really which has, uh, let's call it three major components. And you're going to have to tell me, uh, maybe we'll just, we're going to have to skip over uh, like, like a rock bouncing on water to, to hit these uh, components. The first component is more actual laws about Kohanim, about priests. And so this is the shocking piece of info that... Um, priests cannot attend, uh, should not be in a graveyard and should not be uh, come in contact with the dead except for their close family. Mm-hmm. And even that, the high priest, not to, not to, he is not allowed to be in contact with his close family. And I think that you'll probably agree and add to this that the priests are kind of above death. They're kind of saying to the world, look, souls, life and death, it's all very sad when somebody goes but we're connected to the eternal, Ir Hanetzach, the eternal city. I'll tell you right now, in my own learning, I'm uh, learning some of the laws in, in, in the Mishnah around the sacrifices. Uh, in particular, th- the focus of thought 
that makes it necessary for a sacrifice to be acceptable. It has, you ha- it's not just that you have to do it the right way. You have to be thinking about not only how it's being done, but how, when you'll eat it, where you'll eat it, etc. And it's always fascinating to me that a core aspect of the avodav, the service that the kohanim, that the priests do, is is, is completely inward. It's completely, it's completely inwards. Inwards. Inner consciousness. And so we could speak about these laws of impurity from uh, the mystical standpoint, in which case I have no knowledge of it at all. I can just say, God said so. Do this, don't do that. We could speak about it in the sense of the almost symbolic you're speaking about, which is the priests are above death. They don't mingle with death. Right? Um, and, but then we can think about the consciousness they're meant to hold when they're there in the temple. The contact with death, and I'm sure that you've had this contact as well, um, can, can really just be destructive to your relationship to the world. Yeah. On how y- it happens. You know, it's funny you say that. For me, I'm one of these guys who likes the contact with death, meaning to say I live on the Mount of Hobbes, I work in Hebron. Okay, I have, uh, you know, th- the dead are around me, and I, and I like... I have met my Kohanim friends that I'm amazed sometimes that they, and re- you have to understand, let's say it's my, my, your dad's uh, a day of passing, my dad's day of passing, we go, I go to the graveyard. My Kohanim friends, of which I have many, do not attend. They don't go, right. right. Yep. And I, I, I'm sometimes like weirded out by that there's this like other class of people who don't so go to a graveyard. That's not actually so much what I mean. I was once on the bus. Old man got on in front of me, and he kind of like... St- Stutter stopped to give his cards. I did the Israeli thing and stepped around him and put my card. We were the first ones on the bus. Nobody was there. It was the first station. And all of a sudden, I hear, oh! I turn around, and he falls flat on his back <gasps> on the middle of the bus. It's just me and the driver and him. Now I was trained as an EMT. So I immediately popped his feet up, started to check. I, I didn't need to do CPR. I was still breathing. But as I'm holding his head, trying to make eye contact to speak to him, he turned a deep gray and gave literally a death rattle. And I saw his soul leave his eyes. My God. And, and next thing I knew, the MTs were on the bus. They like popped me out of the way, drive the guy back. They're there. No, nothing. So I gave my report to the head ENT. I got off. I got on the next bus and went home. And there's a power for an experience like that to say, what? what? That's how it happens? You're here and then you're gone? Like what, what kind of meaning is there in a life that could just disappear like that? And that's what I'm getting at is that, that one has to be one has to really honor their contact with death. It brings a lot into question. Yes. And and my point is that the Kohanim are meant to be holding a consciousness, which is, like you said, it's, it's above that. Um, and so, therefore, I think that part of the injunction here, especially when it comes to the high priest, stay in the temple. And we're going to come right after this to all these descriptions, which many people find very difficult. The Kohanim aren't allowed to have physical blemishes. And that's one of them. That That, that is very, it's illiberal. It's very illiberal. It's like... Yeah. Hey, man, this is the way I am. This is what God made me. God says, sorry, you're not good enough. Well, and it's a, there's an important distinction. You're absolutely good enough to eat the sacrifices. Right. It's the performance of the sacrifice which mm-hmm. isn't done. Because mm-hmm. so yeah, but much God, you made me this way. Exactly, says God. And so therefore, you have to accept it. Right. right? Because, <laughs> because you're not a private individual. You are serving Am Yisrael. Wow. And the aesthetics of what happens in the Mikdash is meant to evoke a consciousness. Right. Which, by the way, do you know that the Kohanim, if you're left-handed... According to some opinions, you can't serve it either. Or, or if you have a blemish that's not even visible, like crushed testicles, for example. Right. So meaning there, it's not just the outer aesthetic. It's the inner aesthetic. It's the joy which is meant to suffuse the joy and seriousness and the connectivity which is meant to suffuse every But what action. about if I want to marry this nice lady, but she's a divorcee? Or very sadly, she, she was raped or something. Right. Part and of I can't marry her because so that's corny. We're so not allowed to marry. The question of why not her and why someone else is its own question but part of what one has to understand is the Kohanim are one of the clearest messages to us that you're not just you 
Right. You are not just you. You are Kohen. You're part of this tribe. In the same way that God calls us Mamlecha Kohanim, the Goy Kadosh, a nation of priests and a holy people, that's the lead up to receiving the Torah. What's he telling us? Listen, once you get this, the private thing is over. You could no longer just be on your own program. And we know history shows us that Jews have decided, listen, fine, I'm on my own program. It doesn't always end well, right? And, and so there's huge privileges, there's incredible opportunities, and yet there are real demands. There's no way around it. Right, and, and, uh, and the priests, the rest of us are not priests. Still, though, there's an element of priesthood, which is true for all Jewish people. Absolutely. And we have to kind of model ourselves to some extent, on the priests, because we're also a nation of priests. For sure, but it's important to note that the word kohen in Hebrew, lechahen in, in the verb form, really means to serve, to minister. Minister. Right? And so in English, even though I have tried it before and you can't really get away with it, I really like to say a nation of ministers. Right. Because it's a, it's a service that you're meant to serve. Well, anybody in politics here in Israel knows that we're a nation of ministers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody thinks he's a minister. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said to me, said to me, said to me the other day, he's like, Jews, they don't like to work. Everybody wants to be prime minister. I'm like, well, I'm not like that at all. I only want to be a minister. I don't yeah. even want to be a prime minister. That's too big for me. But minister, yeah, I'd like that. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was a funny moment. Let's like go the to the... minister doesn't work. <laughs> prime minister, our prime minister. Ooh, wow. Yeah, anyway, I'm saying. Like, it look like it's an easy God job. God bless our prime minister. Amen. God give him strength. Let's go on to the next thing. I'm sorry. It's, it's really a time crunch. It's, it's a kid's pickup, real life situation. Let's go on to the next thing, uh, which is uh, one of the uh, main Torah portions for understanding the Jewish calendar is Emor. And uh, and uh, this one, Emor is is a way to understand the calendar, but also understanding the various uh, offerings that are uh, connected to to the calendar days. Um, and you have here, uh, and also the the farming aspect of it. What, uh, for example, about Shavuot? It's really you see that Shavuot, the festival of weeks, Pentecost, is very connected to the land of Israel. And again, it mentions in connection with Shavuot the the Torah commandment of leaving a part of your field, um, um, what's the word? Peah? Lekesh? Yeah, the fal- uh, not, not fal- fallow, no, no, uh, uh, un- unharvested. Unharvested so that, the, so that the poor can get a portion of it that will go behind you. Of course, that's why we read the book of Ruth in connection with Shavuot coming up. We should also take some time to talk about Ruth. So uh, uh, there's the collection of part of the land by the poor, and of course, the book, the holiday of Shavuot, which we got to get ready for, also is also connected to Ruth on the on the King David level. This is the day he was born and passed away. Can I make a plug to make people plug. out there? I think yeah. it's it's so plug important. Away. If you don't have a Hebrew calendar in your house, oh man, there is no more basic way to connect to the rhythm of the sanctity of time, right? And even if you yourself aren't going to keep all the details of the laws. Right, which I would encourage you to think about. Nevertheless, understanding where we are and moving through this chronological space is so critical, and that's why Parshat th- th- Emor lays it all out. This is a big deal what you're talking about, and and I think it's one of the uh, it's a missing component in today's Zionism. Uh, the calendar is very, very not understood by the majority of Israelis. Yes, it's been there has been studies on it. I saw a study recently in, uh, in one of the newspapers. It is a shocking reality about that, that the average Israeli does not know what Hebrew month we're in. Yep. If I say to somebody, Yom Yerushalayim, what's the date? Every, like in the religious Zionist world, everybody knows. It's Kachiyar, Chavchatiyar. You know, they, won't, they don't know what month it is. They certainly, if I say to them, what's the month before Tishrei? 80% of the people that, that go with me in the army will not know that. And I would like to design some laws 
uh, and I have some ideas about how to inculcate the Hebrew calendar back in. By the way, interestingly enough, uh, we're the, the, the Knesset right now is talking about this Chokel um, uh, the national law. Na- yeah, yeah, the national identity law. National identity law. Let's call it that. And it's really trying to put into law that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. It's a little bit of a duh law. Y- yeah, like, I duh. feel bad about the fact that we're like struggling over the law. Right. It's <laughs> like it's like wh- hello. Well, it's like it indicates it's like, that there's a deeper problem. It's like here. I am now passing a law that my name is Yishai Fleischer. And it is in law, and you cannot argue with me anymore. Right, it's like a little weird. And by the way, the Avi Dichter, who's who's the Knesset member behind it, has said that himself. It's like a little bit sad that I have to make this law. Um, one of those laws, by the way, is that Hebrew is the national language of the of the Jewish of of Israel. I I got to tell you, my personal opinion is is one of the great things that it's lacking, ironically, in Israel is also the study of Arabic. I actually think the study of Arabic is key it's critical. to understanding this region, to understanding who we are as and in our language. But the real missing thing is the Hebrew calendar. It is a shanda, uh, which is a Yiddish word, for how bad people, how, how, how distant we are, or the average Israeli is from really knowing the Hebrew calendar and the, the, how the calendar works in this Parsha de Mor. Well, my point was that even if you yourself don't see yourself as um, committed to the mitzvot, there's a rhythm which is happening all the time, which you can connect to in your own ways. But without the knowledge of what that calendar is, it's unavailable. Right. Um, and also, and also, the Torah portion here will also tell us about um, about Sukkot. It'll tell us about the holiday of booths, and and what you should take along in the holiday of booths. Meaning to say, it's going to also tell you about some more laws that you didn't know that you got to gather up the citron and uh, the, the four species together, and how you have to celebrate that. Uh, it's going to also let you know about the interesting kind of um, tension between the eighth uh, day of Sukkot, which is its own mini uh, uh, pilgrimage holiday, and yet part of Sukkot, yet, yet outside of Sukkot, Shemini Yatzeret. Oh, it's so far away. That's so sad. I love Sukkot. Yeah, Sukkot is awesome. Then suddenly it's going to throw in what it does sometimes. The Torah loves to talk about, loves to throw in, and don't forget to light that menorah. Yeah. It, there's a few places in Torah where it's like, yeah. remember to light that menorah. That's very important for me to let you know to light that menorah. And there's one more really fun thing that the Torah does here is it throws us, throws us a, a return to the narrative. Right. And right. Fu- right, exactly. And for narrative people like, uh, like myself, suddenly it's like there's a great story. We have to talk about that. That's why I'm leaving our last five minutes to talk about uh, the cursor. Ooh. The, the, the blasph- blasphemer. Blasphemer. <laughs> blasphemer. <laughs> no, any women here, are there? No, no, no. <laughs> blasphemer. Okay, so... Uh, the blasphemer, he's the son of an Egyptian, uh, and he, this Egyptian cohabitated uh, with a Jewish lady. Um, in some ways, it's explained to us that it's, she was the only one who uh, went out to hang out with, with Egyptians. Interestingly enough, uh, here's an interesting thought. Oh, so, so he, this, this young blasphemer, he can't get a place. He's a little bit upset because he is not actually getting localized in any place. He's trying to camp out. Uh, he's in trying to claim what tribe. Right, he's trying to figure out what tribe he's from. And every tribe says, listen, it goes by your father, so you go over there, you go over there. Right, and he's, and he's an outcast. And at some point, he comes out and he, he cusses. He doesn't he, cuss. He, thr- he uses God's name. He uses God's name. Either he curses the name of God or he... he uses God's name in the curse. It's yeah, a, like, gosh darn you. Right. Listen, in, those two things are related. And there's something very profound about this. The fact that he is the union of the outside and the inside, meaning there's a, a, an Egyptian and an, and an Israelite woman. The fact that he can't find his place 
amongst the tribes, and that this leads them to curse God, which leads Am Israel to then kill him. Well, God to to announce that the punishment for this is death, and then well, they he's kill a blasphemer. him. Blasphemer. He is a blasphemer. Um, and, and people often find this difficult. Like, Come on, really? I mean. It's very difficult. First thing, like, he doesn't find his place, and you can understand why he'd get upset. And, and then what did he already do? What did he already and, and do? Yeah, and the other day, he just cursed. Right. And the, and, and the answer I mean, a person to can it, get upset, like something falls on your toe. Maybe, right. Maybe a cuss ex- escapes your lips. Right. Re- remembering that um, we have devalued language to the point that it's almost meaningless. And I think that that's really one of the deepest lessons in here, is that language is expressive of what we say in Hebrew of, of the muvan me'alav. Right, that which is 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 a given. Like you're talking about this sadness of how we have to pass this n- national identity law. It shows you that it's actually not a given in this country right, that this is who we are in our country. In our country, this right. that's what I mean here. I know. I, I just, no, you mean our country I, as opposed I, I to this country. It, just so you know, it's like a, it's like a. I wouldn't call it a pet peeve. It's a, it's a thing I'm fixated on, which is like everybody, especially Anglo's, we have to say our, our country. country, our country. I hear it. Or even, and I like to add our beloved country before I start complaining about it. I like to say, right. well, the in problem in our country beloved country is. But so his, his cursing of God here is basically an, an undermining of the fabric of consciousness. Everyone's saying, listen, this is who we are. We just, we're, we're, we're still at Sinai here. I mean, in, in their minds, God is like right over there. And, and this guy is able to remove himself enough from the situation that he can Very judge good. God. And Oof. that shatters the given of their situation. They said, this this got to go. What a beautiful thought you just gave to judge God. I, I, people do that all the time. And my friend Alex Trayman once explained to me that what the snake really said, I told you this a few times because it had such an impact on me, is that the snake said, God wants to keep you small. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge. He's, he's like a mean kid. Petty. Yeah, petty, keeping power to himself. And that's maybe what, what happened here. Judge God. But I want to tell you a very interesting uh, um, connection that I made. What's that? Which is, the, he's the son, according to, to, to a few sources, including Rashi, he's the son of that Egyptian who was striking a, a Jew who Moses struck down. Correct. How did Moses strike down that person? With the name of God. With the name of God. With the name of God. Yeah. With the, he, he struck him down saying the name of God, and that killed that dude, and now he says the name of God in a very interesting twist of uh, ironic twist and exactly after that will be a whole little chapter in the Torah that says ein tachat ein the, uh, uh, you know an eye for an eye which doesn't mean take out an eye it just means this world's got karma buddy that's right okay it's it responsive means, to our actions right but it's like it's like you see uh, what we say midah keneged midah you know he, he, his father was killed by the name of God and he also was killed by the name of measure God for when, measure for measure for measure interestingly enough right yeah yeah Okay, folks, uh, kids need to be picked up. God bless those kids, and God bless you our wherever beloved you are. Children. Our beloved children. Our beloved land, this beloved state of Israel. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You have to pray for the state of Israel. You know, Mamish. Chazal say it so beautifully. They say in any state, you got to pray for the welfare of the state because without laws, people eat one another. That's okay? right. And the state of Israel is a vehicle for us to live in this land of Israel. It is faulty at times. Other times, it's, it's wonderful. But it's a vehicle for us to fulfill that age-old prophecy and promise. Pray for what it is and what it can be. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. All right, folks, stay tuned. More great stuff is on the way. Oh, I want to also thank Zeb Stubb, one of our big listeners, founder of Janglo. I want to thank Ben, Ben B, and also Tabitha for uploading the show. And my main man, Moshe H., out in Idaho, who's really part of, uh, of the show. Wherever he is, he's in the land of Israel. That's true about you wherever you are as well. Stay tuned. Oh, write me an email, yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. Connect any way you can. Just... 
throw out a lifeline, do anything to plug in and hold hands across the Atlantic or wherever you are. Rabbi Mike, Shabbat Shalom, and thanks again. Shabbat Shalom, God bless you, folks. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected, and of course, Shalom. The best place to stay in Jerusalem is at Windows of Jerusalem Vacation Apartments. Check out their website, www.windowsofjerusalem.com. They've got beautiful one, two, three, four bedroom apartments in the best location in the city center. The view, the location, plus the wonderful staff will truly make you feel at home in Jerusalem. Book your stay now at windowsofjerusalem.com. Hello. My name is Tommy Waller. I'm the founder and president of Hayyamel. More than 12 years ago, I made my first trip to the land of Israel. What I saw and heard changed my life forever. I stood with Nir Levi, an Orthodox Jewish man in his vineyard in Samaria on the Mountain of Blessing. There he opened his Bible and read the prophecy of Jeremiah that said, you shall yet plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. We have the opportunity to join Israel as it celebrates the 50th year of the liberation of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Come join us as we witness the unveiling of prophecy in the Jubilee year. Come be a part of the biblical narrative. Go to Hayovel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com to find out more. And I hope to see you there.